You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me on this episode, our last episode previewing an opponent for this 2019 season is Will Miles from his site, readandreaction.com. And on Twitter at Will Miles SCC. Well, I know last week you said for the bye week you were going to get some sleep. Did that happen? <laughs> I got three kids, man. There's no sleep. But uh, <laughs> it was it was nice to sit down and watch the games and not necessarily have a vested rooting interest in all of them. Though I will have to admit that that Oregon Arizona State game I obviously was watching with a pretty keen eye. But that that was sort of the fun of it, right? Is all year long you're watching the Florida games and and you're seeing how how they're doing and sometimes miss some of those other games that are out there. So to be able to watch that one and to be able to see Oregon sort of lay an egg there mm. on the road was a uh, it was a fun thing to do, but back to this one. I mean, you know, where did the season go? It's, yeah. You know, you, you look up and it's already over with, and and obviously we love the sport and love watching it, but uh, it's been one of those things where the season's been so much fun, it's it's really gone quickly. Absolutely, man. We'll definitely uh, – we'll get into that too. That's kind of where we'll start this episode. I can't believe that, yeah, the season's almost already over with, and uh, it ends on a big note, of course, uh, with the big rival Florida State. We'll get into a little bit of Florida State talk too, and also – uh, kudos to the seniors too uh, that have been through so much uh, with this Gators program. But before we get to get into all that, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on News4Jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes and News for Jack sports coverage of the Gators. Also listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or YouTube when using those services. Go out there and please share, rate, and review the show and on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Uh, this week will be kind of weird because of the Thanksgiving holidays. So the FSU preview uh, will be out uh, probably Wednesday with James Coleman, former FSU uh, running back, fullback. Uh, he'll join me as well. And then I'll probably will release the uh, Talking With Troop on Wednesday as well, where uh, former Gators tight end Ben Troop joins me uh, to get his thoughts as well heading into this Florida State game. So, Will, yeah, man, you, you mentioned it. Here we are. Uh, season finale of the 2019 season. You know, this is a, it was a camp that started back late July here. And, uh, you know, all with that leading up to a first game on August 24th against Miami. And 
here we are, you know, a chance for Florida to, to, to start the season by beating an in-state rival and then a chance to end the season by beating an in-state rival. And, you know, Florida can, can be in-state rival Florida State in consecutive seasons for the first time since ripping off that six-game winning streak against Florida State from 2004 to 2009. So uh, it can also finish with wins over Miami and Florida State for the first time since 2008 in this uh, same season when they beat Miami 26-3 in Gainesville and beat FSU 45-15 to in Tallahassee that year. So, Will, you, you just look at it, man. This, this is a last chance to defend the Swamp for 2019. Go undefeated at home. Send these seniors out the right way. It's a night game that the crowd has wanted oh so bad this season, and it's against the hated Seminoles to get the 10th win of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit anticlimactic just because Florida State isn't all that good this year, I suppose. But at the same time, it's a big rival. And, and whenever you've got the big rival, then that's when that's when you hope everybody comes and shows out. And I'm sure with these guys being their last a lot of the scene, a lot of seniors on the team this year, those guys, their last game in the swamp are going to be pretty jacked. And like you said, having it be a night game makes it extra special as well. Um yeah, I think it's one of those things where I think Bill Bill Sykes came on maybe a year ago and, and basically said that the winner of the Florida State game, Florida-Florida State game, has won the recruiting battle that next offseason for something like eight or nine straight years. And Florida's really got an opportunity there, obviously beating Miami early in the year. Miami struggling with Florida International this past week um, does sort of set up. Uh, along with the struggles and the departure of Willie Taggart really does set Florida up in a position to be able to, um, to be able to, to take advantage in the recruiting. And that's all part of what this game does beyond it just being a rivalry game beyond it being somebody that we we obviously want to see Florida beat just so that we can, we can, um, have a little bit of fun on Twitter. It's also an important part of building into next year and the year after as well. There you go. Well, I'm glad you said that last part because somebody asked me on Twitter uh, yesterday, how much, um, you know, with Willie Taggart struggling or, you know, getting fired and Miami and all that stuff kind of going on with them and them struggling, how much that affects recruiting, you know, this year. And I was like, well, for now, you know, Florida's class is pretty much, you know, you got what, six, seven spots out there that, that you still got to let, that's, that you still have to fill with guys who are not committed. Now, none of these guys, of course, uh, we'll get, we'll get to early signing day in December, but all the commits now, we don't know for sure they're going to sign with Florida, but most of them, uh, out there will of the, of the 20 commits, uh, that they have. So, and you know you're right. Saturday's game uh, it's really not going to go too far into affecting what we're going to see on early signing day and national signing day uh, in in the next couple of months. You know those classes, as I said, pretty much already decided. At least from the Florida side, Florida side doesn't really have a lot of room right now. You're not going to go get 10 kids that were committed to FSU just because Willie Taggart got fired here or Miami loses to FIU and you're going to go pick five or, you know, 10 of those guys. And there's just really not a lot of room for Florida. So the struggles of Florida state and Miami this year, and if you can go out Saturday and, you know, and go pound FSU like you did last year, that's going to help in next year's class and the, and the, and the class after that. Yeah, well, I mean, it was the same thing with the win last year. I don't think yeah. anybody expected Florida winning that game to flip guys over from Florida State. I think what you expected was is it was going to get guys who were looking at Florida State for the 2020 class to maybe take another look at Florida. And if Florida has a guy or two that they have very, very high up on their board 
who who are looking someplace else because Taggart's no longer there. Well, you know, Florida might be a home for that particular player. And obviously um, they all recruit in very similar places. And so anytime you're the guy who's putting up the 10 and two record versus the guy who's six and six, that makes a big, that's a big deal. So there, there really is a big difference between Florida being 10 and two and Florida state being six and six versus Florida state being seven and five and Florida being nine and three. I mean, that, this game is important from a perception standpoint. Certainly Mullen hasn't recruited the way Urban Meyer did or even Muschamp did. And in order to get to that level, he's going to have to build based on winning these sorts of games. And you can't lose rivalry games when you're at Florida. And so, um, you know, the Georgia game has been a struggle the last couple of years, but obviously the season ended on a strong note last year with Florida State. And I think that's exactly what Mullen's going to be looking to do in this one as well. Yep, uh, Will, 5-0 at home this season for the Gators. A 45 to nothing win over UT Martin. A 34-3 win over Tennessee. 38 nothing against Towson. 24-13 homecoming win against Auburn. And a 56 to nothing victory over Vanderbilt. Admittedly, not great competition in the Swamp this season. The Auburn game was everything it was built up to be. And now FSU will uh, get to feel the effects of a, of a revitalized Swamp in, in Gator Nation. Gators will, I mean, stout at home. Um, the competition hasn't been great, but the Gators are averaging a 39-2 to score at home. And it's been complete domination of teams at home. But will really, because you know what this defense is doing too, only giving up 16 points in five games so far at home this season, three shutouts, and Auburn is the only opponent to score a touchdown in the Swamp this season. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the defense has been great all year. I mean, other than the LSU game and the Georgia game, and those are two really, really good teams, right? I mean, those are two teams that may end up in the playoff. But against FBS opponents, Florida's given up 17.3 points per game. So not too much higher than what they've given up in the Swamp. Certainly, you mentioned all of the shutouts, but there have been a couple of games on the road where they've played very well, too. I mean, the Missouri game in particular, they played really well. And, you know, Auburn's a good team. I I think one of the things that, you know, Obviously, you have the two FCS teams that they played at home, but Auburn's a good team. And then Tennessee, you know, Tennessee, after the shellacking that they took from Florida, has started to turn around. And is that indicative of just Tennessee wasn't playing well at the time? Or is that indicative that Florida is a really good home team and sort of put it on Tennessee and and wouldn't let them up? And it's probably a little bit of both. I think Tennessee's a decent team. They're not great. Um but but certainly Florida has played strongly at home. I think when you look at all the leading indicators, whether it's quarterback play, offense, defense, um, you see the same general trend that at the Swamp, they've been better than they've been away from it. So it's obviously a good thing to have it there this year. Yeah, absolutely. And then we'll see Mullen in his Monday press conference. Uh, did say Mari Bernie is further along than he thought he would be and, and hopeful to play on Saturday and here's the big one, Will, and that Jabari Zuniga is cleared, and we'll see if Mullen's truthful there. Uh, he's had a lot of time off. I would at least think he takes the field uh, Saturday night in his last game in the Swamp. And, you know, he was cleared versus the Georgia game and re-aggravated his ankle injury early. Uh, he played some inside after that game, but you know, we know he's better outside. He just really couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't put too much on that ankle uh, there. Nowhere near the type of player we know he can be uh, in that Georgia game. So hopefully he's close to 100%. Doesn't aggravate that injury again because it is his last game in the Swamp. We don't need to be a joy uh, to see him play, of course. Uh, he's been here for, for for a while. A joy to see him play one more time. 
and really let him play one more time and pair him up with Jonathan Grenard because uh, this FSU offensive line, I'm not so sure. It's gonna, uh, we, we saw last year what Zaniga and Jacopo Light was able to do uh, against Florida State and Tallahassee. You get this Florida Gator crowd behind this defensive line with Zaniga and Grenard being able to fly off the ball. I'm not so sure. I, I like FSU's chances there if, if, if Jabari Zaniga is 100% or close to it. Yeah, I mean, the offensive line last year for Florida State was pretty bad. It's pretty bad again. I mean, you know, better this year, I suppose, but not not fantastic. They've given the ball to Cam Akers quite a bit, mm-hmm. but their running game hasn't really been that good on an efficiency standpoint. So, you know, when you look at you know, when you look at yards per rush, they're 108th, which is worse than Florida, who's at 101st when it comes to yards per rush. So Florida State struggled on the ground as well this year. And, and uh, you know, a lot of that is attributable to the offensive line. And if you were to point to one thing, that's the reason that Taggart's no longer there. And there are a lot of different things to point to as to why Taggart's not there. But I would say the offensive line play is really the the thing that's the, the biggest reason that he's not there anymore. And is, you know, whether that's fair or not is actually an interesting question because certainly there were some offensive line issues when Jimbo was there. But uh, um, they got worse under Taggart, didn't get any better. Um, that's one of the curiosities I have for this game is, you know, the last couple of games Florida State's come out, they've won a couple of games, but one was against FCS opponent. One was against a Boston College team with their backup quarterback. Um, it, are the two wins there indicative that something's turned around since they've made the change of head coach? Or is it just that they played a couple of teams that were overmatched and, and they're going to come up against reality against Florida? And, and that's one of the things that I think will be interesting looking at this game. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get into a little more FSU, uh, of course, as well uh, later on this episode. Kind of, you know, their a journey through their season, but we know the headline there is already firing Willie Taggart a year and a half uh, into the Seminole season uh, there. So, Will, uh, of course, game starts at 7.30 Saturday night, uh, but you know, around 7.15, uh, we're going to get the introduction of uh, a whole big old group of seniors here that have been through a whole lot uh, in this program. Uh, you know, a lot of them Recruited by Will Muschamp and going having to, having to go through Jim McElwain and uh, now being able to reap the rewards uh, in their two seasons with Dan Mullen so far and being able to go to the you know, get ten wins last year go to a New Year's Six Bowl and and in their in, in Dan Mullen's first year these uh, the seniors last year these guys were uh, you know the seniors we're talking about now were juniors last year being able to go out and turn it around and and get the a taste of success uh, and that's what they came came to florida for and then uh, a year later a lot of expectations coming into this season with the top 10 expectations and heck for the most part there they are they're in the top 10 but florida's kind of living up to uh, the expectation everybody had for them uh this season you know a top 10 team second in the sec east and look i mean as you mentioned earlier the two losses to lsu and georgia uh this year are, are nothing to, to be ashamed of now they're LSU, number one team in the country, and in Georgia, the way they recruit and uh, the, the, what, what what they have, and a little bit of head start Kirby Smart had on Dan Mullen, and no shame in losing to them either in games that you were you you were in. So the, these seniors have a lot to hold their head up high for. Uh, as I said, going through what they've went through, and then these last two seasons, I tell you what, there's not going to there's going to be a lot of. Uh, there's going to be a lot of water falling down some falling out of people's eyes uh, in the crowd Saturday night. And uh, I'm going to have to wear my sunglasses even though it's a 7.30 game. 
There's a little bit of dust in the swamp there, right? A little bit of dust so, in the swamp. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things is that a lot of times when a new coach comes in, he relies on the previous recruits, but eventually from the previous coach, but eventually starts really phasing his guys in. I think that's one of the things maybe we expected to see with a guy like Emory Jones and and some of the other guys that that Mullins brought in, but. The reality is, is he's he's had to rely on the juniors last year and the seniors this year in order to move things forward the way he wants to. So guys like Michael Pirine have come out and won the job. Tyree Tyree Cleveland has continued to play very very well. Obviously bringing in Van Jefferson, but he's one of the seniors. But then you've got Hammond and Swain, who who have really become productive members of the team this year. When you know. The, been a little bit disappointing before that and then you look on the defensive end with Zaniga and and uh and Reese and and all those sorts of guys and just the the reality is this is a very senior laden group that's not usually something that you necessarily see in the second year from a uh, from a new head coach a lot of times he's incorporating his guys in there um that hasn't been the case. This has been – it's a, the seniors bought in. The seniors decided that they were going to buy into what Mullen was selling. And, and the 10-3 the and three season last year and then a potential 11-2 and two season this year are the, are, the, are the fruits of that. So, yeah, I mean, you look at that and say, hey, we really appreciate the effort that these guys have put in, appreciate sort of working through. I mean, that 4-7 season in 2017 could not have been fun for any of these guys, right? And, and they hear it. I mean, they hear the criticism that's out there and they hear the people telling them that they're not any good and that, you know, they want that new recruit in, the new shiny recruit to come in and take their <laughs> spot. And and these guys have held their spot. They've been leaders and they've been really good teammates, too. That's one of the things I think that um, maybe gets lost in all this. I mean, you think about Cleveland, Hammond and Swain welcoming in Jefferson and Grimes. Uh, you know, Mullen comes in, he brings in these two highly tatted transfers and Jefferson and Grimes have been a part of the offense, but they haven't been a, they haven't been the only part of the offense. These other guys have gotten an opportunity too. So being able to incorporate new guys in um, and not necessarily caring what happens so long as you're able to win the game. Um, you know, and, and obviously the four and seven season sort of sets you up mm-hmm. to where you might have that attitude, but you know, not every program does that, right? I mean, I, I, just looking across the field at Florida State, I mean, that's something where I think buy-in was problematic and Mullen's been able to get that. And some of that is because of Mullen. Some of that is because of his staff. But some of that is because of these players who made the decision that they were going to buy in, made the decision that they were going to do what their coaches told them to do and that it would pay off in the end. And that's what they've seen. Yeah, I think the uh, going kind of going through Twitter here, and you know, Florida's released a lot of social media videos uh, towards these seniors and, and these guys who will be playing their final game uh, on Saturday night. And the first one I'll start with, Van Jefferson. I think that was the first one they put in. And uh, he went out and said, uh, thank you, Gator Nation, for accepting me these two seasons, made friendships that will last a lifetime. Thank you, Coach G, for believing in me and giving me a second chance. It's truly been a blessing being a Florida Gator. And the thing about Van Jefferson, Will, and you kind of mentioned it here a little bit too, but, you know, he trusts Mullen enough to transfer in on Mullen's first season uh, at Florida. And that, to me, that's a lot of belief in, in a head coach. You're going somewhere who you have no idea how it's going to turn out with a coach going into his first year. And, you know, by all accounts, you were going to be here for two seasons. And, uh, you know, what if the season one didn't go well? And he went ahead and, and trusted Mullen to, to, to know. Look, he had a little bit of a history with Mullen, at, at him playing at Ole Miss and Mullen being at Mississippi State. So there was that connection there. But, you know, Van, Van Jefferson come in right away, trusted Mullen. 
Uh, and for all accounts and purposes, if you want to name somebody a number one receiver in this receiver group, they spread the ball out so much it's hard to really tag a receiver uh, as the number one guy. But if you wanted to give it to anybody, that number one receiver tab is going towards Van Jefferson and what he's been able to do these last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, he's been a fantastic addition to the team. Obviously, I think coming out of camp last year, everybody realized he was the best route runner, made Florida State look pretty ridiculous last year <laughs> in the game. And, you know, especially since Trask has taken over, I think Jefferson has become a even more utilized guy in the offense. And, and a lot of times he's the guy who gets the double team, which opens up things for guys like Kyle Pitts or for Hamden Swain, right? I mean, at some point when you get these guys out there five wide, the defense has to make a decision. And and Jefferson, one of the things I would say about all these guys at receiver, at least, is just the sure handedness of all of them is really, mm-hmm. really impressive. Very, very rarely do you see a drop pass, which has been critical because the Florida quarterbacks have have struggled at times. And so being able to know that when the ball's in the vicinity that the guy's going to go get it. I mean, that's that's a skill just like route running. That's a skill just like the speed to separate and all those sorts of things. And and I think Jefferson is sort of the leader of the pack when it comes to that, has taken to some of the coaching by, by Gonzalez, but also just brought some of his natural route running ability to Florida. And certainly I'm sure has challenged the other guys to step up their games as well. Absolutely, and to kind of follow what Florida was doing here, Adam Schuler was the next one they gave a shout-out to, and Adam Schuler says, I just want to thank you, Gator Nation. I have got nothing but love since transferring into this program. It has been a great two seasons with you guys. Special thanks to Coach Mullen for giving me the opportunity to compete and further my education. A uh, play I remember, Will, is from him. It's kind of a, an unsung play, an underrated play, but last year versus Tennessee was kind of Adam Schuler's coming out party, and that safety that Florida had – he didn't make the tackle, but it was him getting upfield, kind of forcing the running back to go outside. Was, uh, I think it was C.C. Jefferson who ended up making that tackle in the end zone. But that play did not happen, would not have happened if it wasn't for Adam Schuler. And ever since that Tennessee game, uh, he's been a he's been a he's been a force uh, on the inside of that defensive line. Yeah, well, that was right down in my end of the end zone when I was there. And, uh, you know, that was really the play that shut up the Tennessee fans (laughs) there in Knoxville. They were still a little bit loud. I think it was 14 to nothing at that point. And they were still a little bit uh, a little bit mouthy. But once the safety came, Florida got the ball back and then I think was able to complete the long pass to uh, complete the long pass to Swain. And that was sort of the end of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, where would the defense be without without Shuler? I mean, I think a lot of people say the same thing about Grenard, but Shuler last year was a real um, – not only was he a force, but he was a stabilizing influence mm. when they had some struggles up front yeah. at defensive tackle real early in the season came in. Like you mentioned, his coming out party, was against Tennessee, but he played very, very well all the way throughout the year. And in, in Grantham's defense, the tackle isn't necessarily going to be the guy who gets all the glory and busts into the backfield and, and, and makes all these tackles for losses. A lot of times he's there to occupy a couple of offensive linemen to allow the linebackers to roam. And, you know, two years ago, David Reese would get caught in, you know, would get caught by offensive linemen and, and struggled in coverage and all sorts of different things. But Schuler is a big part of why he's been free to roam back and forth and why he's been able to do what he's been able to do the last two years. I don't think that's something we should overlook. Absolutely. The next one here we'll go to is Michael P. Ryan running back, of course, here. And he says, thank you, Gator Nation. Hard to put in the words how much emotion I have built up for senior day. Played with a lot of great players and built lifelong friendships. Came in as an 18-year-old kid and leaving a 21-year-old man Going back to last year, Will, for him, I remember when we did our kind of over-under season preview, 
uh, for the 2018 season, going, you know, dating back to last season, I kind of pegged P. Ryan with that um, not enough respect uh, tag uh, for players. And boy, did he kind of you know show up the, that last year, especially late uh, in the season. The big run versus FSU uh, to get the, the touchdown there. The big win versus Michigan. Then, of course, this year, the, the big run and one of the highlights of the season uh, versus Auburn uh, to basically put that game away uh, there. You know, Michael P. Ryan not having the senior season a lot of us predicted um, out of the backfield, but still being a versatile player that we saw in the Peach Bowl last year. That's kind of bled over into this year as well as being that pass catcher out of the backfield or you know, lining up as a receiver and heck, I mean, kind of forgetting about that, that great catch he made versus Missouri last week as well uh, in, in the last game. And, uh, yeah, senior season may not have have has gone as planned, but Lamichael Piran uh, couldn't ask much more as far as effort and a guy just really wanting to be a Gator and and, and that kind of just working out the working out the way it did. Yeah, I think one of the, maybe the most one of the more impressive things from this year is just you've never seen him get discouraged, you've never seen him pout, you've never seen him wonder about his role, those sorts of things. And obviously, we've heard a lot about Pierce and whether he's the better fit for the way the for the way the offensive line is. But Piran just sort of puts his head down, continues working, and you know, against an off with an offensive line this year that struggled. There's no doubt that it struggled. Has still managed to be a critical cog in the offense. And you know, in a situation where Mullen has gone away from the or away from the run quite a bit and has done so intentionally when you've listened to some of his comments over the last couple of days. You know, P. Ryan's found a way to be useful in that, whether it's in pass protection or whether it's catching the ball, like you mentioned. So, um, you know, a critical cog to the offense. And it's funny, you never notice when the running back picks up the blitz <laughs> like rare or when he's when he's in the right place to be an outlet um you certainly notice when he's not in the right place or when he doesn't pick up the blitz but uh, that's one of the things i think that this year i can't remember a time and maybe there is one but i can't remember a time where p ryan whiffed on a block and somebody was able to get to trask there have been times where maybe he got overpowered by somebody who was just yeah. a little bit bigger but you know he's always in the right spot always making the the block that he needs to do and really proving himself to be a three down back now, some of these players, you know, may have uh, expressed their gratitude um, on other social media sites, but this is what I was able to find on Twitter uh, here. So a couple more uh, that had good things to say here. Josh Hammond, wide receiver, he goes, man, this was tough to put into words. The friends that have become family, the experiences, the ups and downs through football have all molded me to be the person I am today. Forever grateful for the opportunity I was given to be a Gator. Thank you, Gator Nation. And, um, Probably just, uh, of course, the big the big pass uh, reception, uh, of course, the Miami to open up the season uh, with Josh Hammond way downfield. And then, of course, the um, uh, in the round versus Kentucky to basically put that game away, salt that game away. Uh, we just wanted him, you know, him and Freddie Swain uh, come in together, as you kind of mentioned earlier, Will. And we expected a lot more of those guys early on. And Jim McElwain's offensive wasn't getting it and looked – as we can see now, no fault of their own. <laughs> Probably just not getting the right uh, amount of coaching and developing uh, in that previous staff, and you know, not a really a quarterback to the get developed to help these guys as well. But you know, uh, Josh Hammond, who uh, look kind of is 
in a funny way, uh, the joke of uh, social media out there, because it seems like he's been at Florida forever. He looks like he's 35 years old, and but uh, he, it was like he, he he was here before Frankie, his uh, his older brother, was here. That's kind of the, the way it seems. Uh, but uh, you know, good on Josh Hammond, and, and good on a lot of these players here for you know they didn't have to come out here and, and express their uh, gratitude and and share their memories about Florida. But uh, here they are doing it, and uh, you know, for as far as uh, we'll get into Swain some more in just a second too. But you know, those two guys uh, for every thing they've been through and it didn't look like they were going to live up to their four-star status you get a brand new head coach and you end up playing like it yeah absolutely and you know you get on the field with Mullen as a wide receiver by blocking and that's that's really sort of what I I think I'm going to remember from these two is that you know Hammond and Swain like you said we'll talk about Swain in a minute but but Hammond is an outstanding blocker and has gotten more and more opportunities because he's earned the trust of his coaches by going out there and doing the little things. And, you know, <laughs> the problem under McElwain is that the big things were missing. So, you, yeah. so the guys who did the little things, it didn't necessarily make a whole lot of a difference. But um, certainly Hammond has proven adept to do that. And like you said, he's proven to be a good sport with all of the, with all the memes and all that sort of stuff. But it is interesting. I mean, you know, you mentioned his brother Frankie who was here. I think that's sort of one of the reasons why it feels like he's been here forever but uh you know the other thing is, is it's it's a rare thing to have a guy who's as talented as hammond or as talented as swain stick around for four years so mm-hmm. to have somebody stick around for four years to play as a true freshman and sort of go through all of the trials and tribulations that the fans have gone through and go through that together i think is uh is is a unique thing and you know the he's been here for a while but not as long as hunter renfro was at clemson that's the only uh, <laughs> Oh, Andre Debose too. Man, Florida. <laughs> well, Debose is still on Florida's roster, isn't Some, he? Somewhere, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we, we mentioned we'll go ahead and go to to, to, to Freddie Swain here too. And uh, last year, Will, you mentioned last year the the catch against Tennessee. That was something I just didn't know he had in him. Uh, you know, Frank's is shuffled out to his right. He finds um, uh, a Swain crossing the field. He catches it, stays in bounds, and then gets upfield. And here comes, you know, and he had to slow down uh, to catch that pass. I'm like, okay, here comes some defenders that's going to catch him. He ends up, he, get, he gets a few yards, and all of a sudden he's starting to run away from defenders. I'm like, whoa, I, I did not know Freddie Swain had that type of speed uh, there. And then that big catch this year, uh, it goes back to one that sticks there, that diving catch versus South Carolina uh, in, in the rain, and Kyle Trasley, you know, throwing it up there uh, in the corner of, or in the front pylon of the, of the end zone. I mean, what a great adjustment, great catch by him. And, uh, yeah, yeah, just uh, one player that uh, – after the first two years, I didn't know what to expect, but then going back to that Tennessee game last year and kind of just blowing me away uh, with how fast he was. And then, heck, I mean, in the Auburn game this year as well. I mean, he was able to show it there too. It's just um, one of those players that I think I was surprised every time, and not in a bad way, but just surprised every time that, you know, the big play came from Swain. I was just surprised how it happened. Yeah, I would say the Auburn play is the one that I'll probably – is. The one that I think exemplified what he meant to the team that, you know, he was the guy who got the one-on-one coverage. You've got Trask. Nobody really knows. I mean, he hadn't really been tested at that point, had the comeback against Kentucky, the big win against Tennessee, you know, and then, and then the game against Towson. And now you're playing Auburn. And and the question is, what do you have from Trask? And he finds the one-on-one coverage and then off he goes and, you know, able to split the defense and really sort of set the tone for the game. And before it was up seven, nothing right from the start. And even though, even though the, even though the offense couldn't stop fumbling the ball there in the, in the first half, sort of set the tone, put Florida ahead of Auburn and made Auburn play catch up throughout the game. And then the other thing I'll remember is all the punt returns. When was mm-hmm. the last time Florida dropped a punt return? 
And, you know, we don't we haven't necessarily seen explosive returns in in the punt game, but we also haven't seen muffed punts at all in the punt game either. And that's one of those things where special teams is important. It's a big part of the game. And Swain has been a huge contributor on special teams for an extended period of time. And in fact, I think it was last year he injured an ankle. And that was the last time we saw a. a fumble on a punt. I believe Kid Arias Tony dropped one um, when he was filling in for him. So, you know, again, I, I mentioned that these guys never drop passes. Well, Swain never dropped punts either, and that's a big part of why he was why he was back there. And quite honestly, is probably a big part of why he might end up playing in the next level, just because somebody who can catch a punt and make sure that you uh, you maintain field position is an important asset to the team. And one more receiver, of course, uh, Tyree Cleveland uh, was you know on the verge of a five-star uh, recruit when he was uh, recruited at Florida, and you know probably the last couple of years um, haven't gone the way uh, that he pretty much planned because of the way he started his career. Will and I'm telling you, two of the most clutch plays in Florida Gator history uh, come from Tyree Cleveland here, and you go all the way back to his freshman season when Florida's fighting for the SEC East and they're going to Baton Rouge and. They're backed up on their own one-yard line, and Austin Appleby throws up a one-on-one pass to Tyree Cleveland. He shrugs off a defender, and he races 99 yards uh, for a touchdown that goes a long way in Florida winning the SEC East that year. And then also the next year. Uh, it wasn't you know, it was Jim McElwain's last year, so a lot of it didn't amount to anything. But anytime you beat Tennessee, it is a good way. And this is the second time in a row in the swamp where Florida was able to break Tennessee's heart. And this time it was Franks to, to Cleveland for the heave to cleave uh, there. And uh, – yeah, you know, Florida beats Tennessee at the buzzer. So as far as as far as two of the most clutch plays go in Florida history, you know, Tyree Cleveland's up there with those. Yeah, well, I mean, from a statistical standpoint, I think you're right. It's not what everybody necessarily expected to see. But obviously, Cleveland's had some injury issues that have limited his productivity as well. But whenever you've got one of those plays that shows up, whenever somebody wants to <laughs> every year on CBS, that thing's going to show up when when Florida's playing Tennessee at three thirty. You know that and the Antonio Callaway play, and you know then going back to some of the Peyton Manning, Danny Werfel battles, and those sorts of things. You know those are the things that show up in the montage, and 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 Tyree certainly has a place in Gator lore with that with that play. I mean, coming off of the hurricane, I remember flying down for that game, not knowing whether there, I was going to be able to get gas to get up to Gainesville. You get up there and they were just sort of giving away free tickets because you know they didn't know who was actually going to be in Gainesville at the time. And then to have the swamp still almost 80 or 90 percent filled and then have that be the play that ends the game. Um, you know, after I think we all had hope that Franks was going to sort of turn a corner and, and Florida was up and then Tennessee came roaring back to tie it. And then and then you get that played in the game. So, yeah, again, I mean, Cleveland's been a class act all the way through. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah, and you can say this about all of these seniors. Yeah. They've all been class acts. They all like I can't recall hearing any grumbling from anyone about playing time, about um, not getting the ball passed their way often enough. And yeah, you know, I think if we want to point towards one of the things that's helped Kyle Trask succeed, it's that he hasn't had to worry about managing who's getting the ball when and those sorts of things. He's just sort of picked out the open guy and thrown it to him. And, uh, you know, to have that kind of unit, to have those guys who are, who are, um, you know, setting the tone for the team, I think is an important, is an important thing. And certainly Tyree Cleveland is a big part of that. And then let's move to the other side of the ball here. And Jabbar Zuniga, of course, senior season not turning out the way he wants because of the uh, the injured ankle, high, high, high ankle sprain uh, that happened against Kentucky. He just hasn't really been able to, to shake that injury uh, there. But 
I know it wasn't a losing effort, but go back and go to that goal line stand versus Georgia last year, where you know they you know, that goal line stand kept Florida in the game by you know settling uh, Georgia starting on the one basically the one yard line and uh, not get, not not being able to get anything. And Jabari Zuniga was in almost every play uh, of that little drive here, and man. Um, it stinks for him, uh, of course, not to have to, to to play his whole senior season. Hopefully, he isn't what he is one hundred percent. We get to this FSU game uh, here, and uh, for the the last time we get to see him, he puts on a show. Yeah, well, you hope that uh, that the tape that we saw against Miami is what we see against Florida State, right? With with Grenard and Zaniga running wild, because that ten sack opener against Miami is really the only time that both of those guys have been healthy throughout the entire year, and they were able to really terrorize the Hurricanes. Now, I think you might say that the Hurricanes aren't really that great to begin with, especially after what we've seen recently. But at the same time, you know. 10 sacks is 10 sacks. And even against an FBS team or an FCS team, you'd say that's a significant, uh, you know, that's a significant thing. So, and certainly, you know, Zuniga was the guy who everybody pointed to and said, Hey, he's the guy who's going to have to replace Polite. And he started out being able to do that this year, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, he wasn't a slouch last year either. You mentioned the no. Georgia game, but there were other games where Zuniga was a big part yeah, of the game plan yeah. and a big part of allowing Ja'Kai Polite to, yeah. to roam free. Right. And that's one of the things that I think Zach, Carter stepping up the last few weeks was a knee out has allowed Grenard to sort of roam free and be a little freelance is the wrong word, but has been able to allow Grenard to do the things that he's really good at. And I think Zuniga did that a lot last year for polite. So, um, you know, for a guy who came in and, and, you know, a three-star guy that I'm not sure everybody, <laughs> certainly people like me didn't say, Hey, this is going to be a can't miss guy. Um, whenever you get those guys who, who go and work and turn themselves into elite guys in the sec, somebody you got to tip your cap to. Absolutely. Um, one more player here on the defensive side, of course, you know, kind of the headliner here, David Reese, the linebacker, of course, I don't know where his gator defense would be without him and not a, not going to wow anybody with, uh, you know, size or anything in the middle linebacker position, but you know, 16 tackles versus Kentucky this year. And you go back to the year before that where Florida missed him uh, versus Kentucky. And I don't know if Florida wins that game uh, or not if he's on the field, but uh, you have to like Florida's chances with what he's been able to prove every time Florida's going against a kind of run-heavy team that David Reese is there uh, making tackle after tackle. And, you know, he's just been that, that steady presence on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, well, you know, in 2017, Reese got picked on a lot in coverage. And that was one of the things where I think you looked at it and said, you know, yeah, he can he can plug holes against the run, but he struggles when it comes to picking up backs out of the backfield. When's the last time Florida got torched by a back out of the backfield? I can't really remember it, right? I mean, there LSU, have been times... LSU, I guess? Well, but not throwing it, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't recall times where Reese has been isolated on backs out of the backfield and Florida's just gotten t- continuously torched like they did back in 2017. Now, some of that is the defensive scheme, but some of that is on David Reese, who's become a more complete player as he's played um, over the course of his four years. And so we sat there and looked at a sophomore and said, whew, like coverage is a real weakness. And now I look at it and I say... Maybe it's not his strength, but it's not necessarily a weakness that people isolate and say, we want to get our guy on this linebacker. That's not the way it works anymore. And in fact, there are other places that people pick on in the defense um, significantly more than they do pick on Reese because Reese has really made himself into a much more complete player. Now, I mean, at the next level, is he is he a three down linebacker? I think that's something he's going to still have to work his way into. But at least, you know. 
there's not a program in the SEC that wouldn't take David Reese as their middle linebacker right now. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, sort of in the long line of guys like Antonio Morrison and Siler and, and Brandon Spikes. And, you know, Reese isn't necessarily maybe as good as some of those guys, but I think he measures up real well in Gator history in terms of the overall contribution he's been able to make over his four years. And, and from a leadership perspective too, back in 2017, you know, letting people know it was unacceptable the way they were playing after McIlwain was let go. And, and Reese sort of stepped up as a leader at that point and has, and has taken that mantle ever since. Yeah. And we'll get into some, uh, you know, some of the lesser known players here, of course, uh, that'll be also uh, celebrated uh, on senior day. And will you make sure to, to point out here, you know, center Nick Buchanan, uh, they're, Good on him because we, we went into last year thinking, what, T.J. McCoy was just going to step in right at center, uh, who played center in, in, in Jim McElwain's final season, and just assumed you know, he was going to be the center uh, when, when you know, Dan Mullen lined up his first offensive line. But there it is, Nick Buchanan, and he really was part of that offensive line last year that got better as the season went on and uh, was really a, a strong force in helping the run game get going. And, of course, the run game got going and made Felipe Franks a better quarterback as well. Uh, but you know, this, this year, offensive line much maligned uh, there because of the, the run game struggles there. But but you know, you know, good old Nick Buchanan uh, for for being able to uh, you know come in last year and, and hold that center spot down uh, there for two years now for the Gators. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm not sure that the offensive line struggles this year because of Buchanan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we can point to other positions, but I've never sat there and looked at the center and said, "Oh, he blew a block." And for as much as Florida's in the shotgun don't recall any bad snaps either. And, um, you know, the center is a guy that you're not necessarily going to see unless he's doing something that, um, uh, unless he's doing something that's, that's so bad that you notice it. And, and we haven't seen that a lot this year and Buchanan has been a solid contributor. And, and that's one of the things I think we, we, um, we lionize these guys who make the big plays or who are absolute stars, but in any team, you, you need a bunch of solid contributors to be able to win 10, 11, 12 games. And, and Buchanan has been one of those solid contributors who's really, who's really been a cog that has allowed Florida to excel these last two years. Yeah, a couple more there in that same realm there. You know, Luke Ankrum uh, had the, the interception versus Tennessee last year on the screen pass, the, the running back screen pass that was able to to set Florida up in really good field position to, to start that blowout early on. Uh, Juwan Taylor, uh, the safety there, uh, couldn't stay healthy a lot of time, a lot of shoulder problems for him, but was uh, kind of instrumental last year in the Peach Bowl. Uh, he was able to play a big part there and, of course, we have to mention you know, punter Tommy Townsend. Uh, of course, he was a transfer in as well, not necessarily recruit, uh, but much a, a transfer in like Van Jefferson and uh, Adam Shuley here. But you know, the Ray guy semifinalist for the second year in a row uh, didn't make the finalist uh, there. I don't know, you know, who votes for that award, but um, the Florida punter always seems to get screwed out of uh, winning that award. <laughs> Uh, there, so not sure how it happens. His brother got screwed out of it too, but uh, you know we'll kind of see that. We'll see there, but uh, yeah, you know some unsung guys, you know, and special teams guys also. Do, you know, but uh, Tommy Towns is pretty pretty popular Gator. Yeah, how did we not talk about Townsend last week with Nick De La Torre on the podcast? That's we, yeah, we should should have brought him up. He's always the one who's who's going after the punters. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm not sure if there are any Townsends left. We'll have to like figure out whether they've got cousins or something because they yeah. can't. I mean, again, again, how often are is the field flipped? 
because of Townsend being able to put a 55 yarder with a ton of hang time and the ball doesn't get returned or being able to pin the opposition inside. And, you know, you don't notice the punter until he shanks one, just like you don't miss the, you don't notice the field goal kicker until, until you're begging for Eddie Pinero to come to your program because you've got a walk on or a dental student kicking, kicking kicks for you. So Florida's really been blessed from, you know, Eric Wilbur to Johnny Townsend to, you know, just sort of all the way through always having very, very good punters and, and Townsend's, one of the guys in that line. And then, you know, you mentioned Ankrum with the injuries to Zaniga and Grenard. He's played a much mm. bigger role this year than I think people expected. And absent the the LSU game, really, Florida has played very, very well up front. And and Ankrum has been a big part of that. And and then obviously the the safety position has been an area where people have, have talked extensively about who should be out there. And, and um, you know, Taylor's been a part of that rotation and has been a solid contributor. So again, it sort of goes back to what I said about Buchanan. I mean, mm-hmm. you need those guys who are cogs, who, who in some capacity just eat up snaps to allow your guys to sort of rotate in and remain fresh. I mean, you know, from Ankrum's perspective, whether he makes the interception against Tennessee or not, obviously that was a huge play there, but you're not necessarily looking for that from him. A lot of times you're looking for him to, to eat up snaps, to do his job, to allow guys like Grenard and Zuniga to get a blow. And then when they come in to really sort of wreak havoc. Well, we just mentioned these seniors here, and uh, heck, we don't know. Uh, you know, there's some juniors out there too. Just might be their last game. We they won't get the uh, you know running out of the tunnel and flowers and get to kiss their families goodbye here uh, on the uh, on senior day. But you know, this could also be the last time we see C.J. Henderson and Marco Wilson and maybe Trevon Grimes as well. Uh, Tadero uh, T.J. Slayton's getting a lot of draft love out there, believe it or not, for what he's been able to do at the defensive tackle spot too. You know, there's gonna uh, Kadarius Tony maybe uh, as well. I don't think it. I think he comes back, and some of these guys should come back. Uh, but we don't know. We, there's a lot of assumption going on of, of whether these guys will come back or, or, or won't come back. But uh, you know, this could be uh, the last time we see those guys too. Yeah, I mean, I think we, I think I said this earlier this year that out of the 22 starters, Florida has 19 of them who are going to be draft eligible. So a lot of that is the seniors that we've gone through. Obviously, we've gone through a bunch of seniors, but some of that is the juniors that that you expect to leave, and that and that quite honestly probably should leave. I mean, you look at a guy like C.J. Anderson coming into the year. I think he was a top 10 pick on most people's big boards. I don't know that he's you know some of the injuries that he's had, and and you know when you get a guy who's in the top 10, you start picking at the things that he can't do. Rather than that one, you know, rather than when he has a breakout year saying, hey, that's what he can do. I think maybe that's happened to Henderson a little bit and certainly um, with Wilson as well. But I mean, Henderson seeing Wilson's injury, I think, is one of those things that that probably impacts some of those guys as well. So, um, yeah, I think there's there's going to be a couple of juniors who decide to go. I think some of that may be just based on, um, you know, how much they've enjoyed school. Some of that might be that they that at the end of the day, the finances dictate that you need to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I think you say thank you, you tip your cap to them because these are guys who have contributed to the team and been a big part of the success. Absolutely. And uh, everybody remembers the whole Jacopo Light story last year and uh, what happened there and kind of the one player, Mullen, Mullen kind of insinuated maybe he should come back uh, for one more season. He didn't and uh, it didn't last too long uh, in, in the NFL. So you know, hopefully these guys make the right decision, the right decision for them and the right decision for uh, for Florida here uh, there. So, yep, we'll get to say a lot of goodbyes uh, this coming Saturday night. Uh, versus FSU. Uh, we'll have a quick look at FSU, but before we get there, you know, my bookie is the place for you uh, because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. 
happening between football season, NBA, college basketball season. It's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with MyBookie. It doesn't matter if you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. MyBookie welcomes all to come play, so quit waiting around and sign up today. This week only, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet, a risk-free bet on the Bear Li- Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congrats. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well. MyBookie will give you all your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. MyBookie welcomes all to come play. So right now, head to MyBookie, and they'll match your first deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today at MyBookie.ag. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G. And don't forget to use promo code GATERS when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid at MyBookie. Yeah, well, so FSU, we kind of know the, the, the main storyline, <laughs> of course. Uh, going through the season, uh, firing really Taggart after the Miami game. Uh, wasn't even close. What, 27-10, to 10, uh, Miami controlled that game all the way. But uh, they kind of going through the season. They had the season opening loss to Boise State. Then a week later, a one-point win over Louisiana Monroe. Fought hard versus Virginia and lost by a touchdown there. Um, kind of tooth and nail with Louisville. Um, blasted by Clemson, forty-five to fourteen. Lost to Wake Forest, twenty-two to twenty. Bounced back there to beat Syracuse, but then get blasted by Miami. Willie Taggart's fired uh, here, but uh, you know, with two wins uh, this season, uh, a thirty-eight thirty-one victory at Boston College and a forty-nine twelve win uh, versus Alabama State. Odell Haggins performed uh, his improved to four and zero all time. As FSU's interim head coach, uh, directed the Seminoles to final two games of the 2017 season, a 42-10 defeat of Louisiana Monroe, and a 42-13 win over Southern Miss in the Independence Bowl. So, uh, not a lot of great competition there for his 4-0 uh, victory. And it's uh, in, in the four games uh, under Hagen's direction, uh, FSU's outscoring its opponents by an average of 42.8 to 16.5. Uh, you know that's teams that that's what they should do uh, against those teams uh, there. So uh, you know, got a coaching change uh, uh, going on. It's got a little bit of confidence uh, for the for the Seminoles coming into this game Saturday night. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the deal, right? I mean, they, they they had no business losing that game against Boise State. I'm still not quite sure how they lost that game, and, and that was and you can say the same thing about the Wake Forest game. I mean, the the last drive there was just a debacle, and. You, know, you got the Chauncey Gardner Johnson waving their defense or their offensive guy out of the field. You had the offensive guy lining up in the wrong direction at the line of scrimmage earlier this year. So a lot of the stuff that was going on under Taggart, I think, are things that likely, um, like the gross negligence, is probably going to to have resided. Right? I mean, can they just get a handle on that? And and have the th- not shoot yourself in the foot at the end of the game, those sorts of things. I think you know a, a normal coach should get that stuff under control, and I think we'll probably see a better Florida State team than we've seen all year. The problem is that this Florida State team's pretty bad, and so you know, when you when you look at the underlying stats, when you look at you know you dig a little bit deeper, it becomes pretty clear why Florida is 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 nine and two, and and Florida State is not. 
And, you know, th- there are some games where maybe they could have pulled it out. I mean, that Wake Forest game is one mm-hmm. of them. Um, the Boise State game certainly is one of them. So you look at it and say, hey, had those two games gone their way, then they're sitting there at eight and four. And is this a game that we think is a little bit more competitive? But the problem is it didn't go their way. And and it didn't go their way because they weren't able to execute at the end of those games. And, and against a team like Clemson, and I'm not saying Florida's like Clemson, but I think Florida's a whole lot closer to Clemson than they are to Boston College. And against a team like Clemson, it was just a complete outclassing. And and I suspect that's probably what we'll see this week. Yeah, I'll have more in your preview this week. But, uh, you know, on the surface here for, for the FSU's offense, you know, whoever is that quarterback, uh, whether it be Hornybrook or Blackman, I mean, look, you got to stop the big playability of Akers and, uh, and Tamori and Terry, uh, the wide receiver there. You stop those two. You know, I think you have a good chance of getting to the quarterback there because of their offensive line. You stop those two guys. Uh, you know, they, they really can't adjust. Those guys are their playmakers. Those guys are the FSU offense. Yeah, well, I mean, and if, if you look at how Florida is equipped to stop those guys, right? I mean, certainly the last few weeks against against Georgia with Swift and then against uh, against Vandy with, with Vaughn and then against Missouri, they didn't really give up any running either. And so Florida has really progressed in terms of being able to stop the running game. And Cam Akers – Gave him a little bit of trouble last year, but um, at the same time, that isn't somebody that – I don't think he's better than Swift. I think their offensive line is a lot worse than George's, so I suspect Florida's defense is going to be able to stop them. And then you look at Terry on the outside. Florida's got some guys they can throw at him, and since they've made the switch to having Kyrie Elam on the outside and bringing Marco Wilson inside, I think they have been a little bit better. Certainly the competition has been a little bit less with, with Vanderbilt and Missouri, but at the same time, um, the defense has been putting up zeros, and, and that's all you can really ask. So um, – you know, one of the interesting things I think is that Blackman, when you look at his splits, and I'm assuming Blackman's going to play, but Blackman, when you look at his splits, averaged 8.9 yards per attempt at home and 7.2 on the road. And so you look at his yards above replacement, 1.11 at home, negative 0.56 on the road. And Trask actually has almost the exact opposite split. So at home, his um, his average yards per attempt is 9.2 and his, his yards above replacement 0.85 on the road, 7.7 and negative 0.24. So um, Trask has been very, very good at home. Blackman's been very, very poor away from Tallahassee. And and so obviously having the game in the swamp is a big deal for Florida and a big advantage for Florida in this one. Another big advantage for uh, Florida will um, FSU's pass defense. 114th in the nation. So Kyle Trask and this wide, this deep wide receiver uh, core for the Gators, the senior leading uh, wide receiver core for the Gators, they might go out on a, on a high note. Look, Mullet even admitted today, you know, they're going to pass the ball. <laughs> That's just what they are. It would be nice for Lamichael P. Ryan to get more involved, maybe in the run game in, in the final in his final game in the swamp. But Florida's going to come out swinging it. P. Ryan can be involved in that as well, uh, but with, as bad as FSU's pass defense is, you got to think, you know, Florida and, and Mullen see something they could take advantage of there. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the deal, right? Florida State has averaged 28.3 points per game against FBS opponents. Florida's at 30.3, so Florida's a little bit better on the offensive side of the ball. But when you look at the defensive side of the ball, Florida State has averaged has given up 29 points per game, and Florida's given up 17.3. That's the differentiator between these two teams. The offenses are similar. I think Florida's probably a little bit better. But the defenses, it's not even close. And it sort of, you know, goes back to, to what you're saying about the pass defense, that the pass defense for Florida State's been been poor. And 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 there's been some 
there's been a tendency for things to snowball. Maybe I don't want to use the word quit, but there's been a tendency for things to snowball where Florida state gets behind by a touchdown or gets behind by 10 points. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And so Florida, this is one of those opportunities, you know, last year they let them hang around there in the first half. Mm. Um, I think we're up like 13 to seven or 10 to seven or something like that at the half. Um, I sincerely hope that Florida just decides to put put their boot on its boot on Florida State's throat right at the start because if you get up 14 points, this game's over. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, with it over, Will, you got to think uh, FSU is going to be uh, really, really concentrating on that uh, head coaching search there and, and getting that wrapped up pretty soon. And uh, I think you, I think you threw your hat in the, in the mix there. I did. I did. I, I feel bad for Florida State. They've been having a having a rough time. It doesn't seem like any of the Stoops brothers want to be there. P.J. Fleck re-upped with Minnesota. Um, you know, Urban Meyer is either going to USC or maybe the Dallas Cowboys. And, uh, you know, the, the AC Vince Lombardi is getting an interview next. <laughs> well, Deion Sanders was the rumor a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, whoo, Deion. I, so basically I looked at it and said, if they're going to hire Deion, uh, hire me. I'll do it. Like I'll, I'll. So anyway, I wrote an article um, detailing why they should hire me as their next head coach, and I think it'll be entertaining for Gator fans. Certainly, it should be entertaining for them to uh, to share with their Florida State fans their few shots that may have may or may not have been taken in the article. But uh, it's all supposed to be good fun. It's Florida State Hate Week. It's time to uh, time to enjoy the fact that we've got rivals out there, and that uh, and that we're doing better than they are right now. As a tease, will. What is your what is your best asset that you can bring to Florida State? So the best asset that I bring is that I'll take the job if I'm offered it. <laughs> <laughs> Which seems to be the issue that they're having right now is is uh, you know flying all over the place and having some issues, uh, getting get nailing down the deal. But I'm sure they'll be fine. I'm sure they'll bring. And you won't cost a whole lot. Well, I don't, I'm, I'm cheap, man, compared to these guys. <laughs> Though apparently Taggart didn't sign his uh, didn't sign his contract, so oh, maybe, there's, there's maybe been, I'm less been, cheap than them. Yeah, there's been clarity on that. He actually signed it. FSU did not. FSU didn't sign the contract. Oh, yeah. Interesting. So, well, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it shouldn't really be a big surprise that Florida State didn't do a very good job of finishing because that <laughs> seems to have been a problem for the last two years for that program. But, um, I. I, I actually do want Florida State to be good. I just don't want them to be as good as Florida, right? Yeah. I think some of the some of the most fun times that anybody's had watching Florida football is when Florida and Florida State were both good and were and went back and forth and and you lost one every once in a while. And even you look at Spurrier has a losing record, I think, against Bobby Bowden, but losing to Florida State wasn't a uh, wasn't a shameful thing to do especially as you were building up that program under Spurrier in the early 90s and once you overtook them I mean heck won the national championship by beating Florida State and with if the state of Florida is on top of the football world that's a good thing um, so obviously I hope they get better I just hope they don't get better than Florida so hopefully they'll bring in a, a, a uh, sort of middling coach, and we'll see what happens. I will say that one of the things that uh, people should check out is I, I did figure out a way to to get Doug Nussmeyer rehired as an offensive coordinator there at Florida State if they bring <laughs> me in. So that that was one of the more one of the more enjoyable things that I uh, that I came up with in terms of why they should hire me. So um, anyway, I thought it was kind of amusing. Hopefully, everybody else does too. Absolutely. Well, before we wrap up, favorite FSU memory, and I'll give you, uh, I guess, the choices here. Is it the uh, 96 National Championship win over him? Is it the uh, 97 season, of course? Uh, Quasi gets behind the defense, and, uh, of course, Florida 
uh, goes on to what maybe many people call the loudest game in the swamp and upset at number one FSU, or is it uh, claiming Ron Zook Field in Tallahassee? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd say it's Ron Zook Field because I was there for that. Okay. Um, I was actually on campus when that was going on. Um, you know, the the '96 and '97, I, I was still living in Indiana, so um, Florida wasn't real. I mean, they were on my radar because I was watching college football, but they weren't necessarily a team that I was thinking I was going to go to the school because we didn't move to Florida until 1997. But uh, you know, it, it's interesting. The my favorite memory might be the last game Tebow played in the swamp with all okay. of the, with all the flash, flash bulbs flashing. Yeah. I mean, it was just a really cool thing to see a guy who came back for his senior year, all the adulation that guy gets. And, you know, I, I think sometimes there are, uh, there are times where maybe Tebow's the power of Tebow's star took something away from some of his teammates there. Um, certainly I think when people look back at the promise and all that sort of stuff there, there's, that was a team that that really was a dominant team and and there were a lot of really good players on there but but that senior night with Tebow and the connection that he had with the fans and and then just absolutely demolishing Florida State um that was probably the one that sticks out in my mind as well as you know on on the on the bad side the 29 to 2 loss a few years ago but I, I brought my daughter to that one that was her first game so that's that's one that's pretty pretty near and dear to my heart too even though I'm still you know I, I think Treon missed again over there <laughs> yeah, the uh, Tebow spikes all those guys senior night. That one really does speak. And like you said, because I was I was working, I just started for the TV stations. So I was working for the TV station for two years at the time. No, I've been three years. I'm in mean, 2009. So I was working at the TV station for three nine uh, three years on the sideline with a camera in my hand. You know, shooting shooting the game, and Tebow's about to go and, and score that last touchdown. And as you said. I'm looking. I'm on the sidelines, so looking at the student section. And you're right. I mean, the flash bulbs. You don't, you don't see that anymore because you know nobody has flashes on their cameras. It's just camera phones now. That you, you don't see the you don't see the pop of flash anymore. Uh, but that's the you're, you're right. You know, seeing all those flashes, and then uh, you know, after the game, uh, that whole senior class, and I mean, basically the whole team just out there clapping all the all the fans' hands because it was their last game in the swamp, and they were out there, you know, taking a lap around the swamp and. Uh, all that you still see, you know, see, see him do that every now and then. But it, that night, uh, in particular, you know, that, cause that was Tebow's last night uh, in, in the swamp. Spikes and all those guys uh, that that we love oh, oh so much. You know, it was their their last night in the swamp. So yeah, you're right. That that one uh, holds a holds, holds a place uh, near and dear uh, as far as FSU games go. Uh, but yeah, I mean. It's it's hard to beat the first ever national championship and, and beating your rivals in in doing it, and then the uh, um, the very next year in '97 as well. So a lot of good memories, and hopefully Saturday night uh, will will be another one. So, will anything else coming up? I know uh, Happy Thanksgiving to you, man, uh, and to your family out there, and everybody else out there. Uh, anything? Uh, what you got coming up this week? Yeah, I'm going to have a season preview up. I think Olivia might be writing something as well this week. And we'll get everybody ready for the Florida State game. And and certainly, yeah, there will be some time to, you know, hopefully everybody will come over and read my stuff after after devouring some turkey and and uh, and watching some of the NFL games. So this is always my favorite time of year. I mean, this is 
the problem is, is the season's ending, but man, you got a rival, you got four days off, you got, uh, got family in town and then just sort of get to sit back and, and, and on Saturday night, see, see the seniors go out there and, and whether it's in Tallahassee where all those seniors and you get to ruin their senior night or whether it's in Gainesville where you get to make their senior night, um, you know, where it gets to be a special thing, especially cause it's been a while since Ford's won one in the swamp. Yep. So, uh, you know, to give the fans that, and hopefully the fans will come out and give 90,000 strong to make sure that it's a loud, loud send off for these guys. And they've been a big part of the Florida program. And it's one of those things where I think, you know, every year you look at the seniors and you get a little bit sentimental about it, but this particular group is one that I think has, has really sort of cemented its connection with the fans and, and it's going to be fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let it turn around and get that Gator standard up for Dan Mullen. That's what a lot of these seniors uh, have been able to do in their time here as Florida Gators. That's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. Go check it out this week as his FSU preview will be up and why Will is a great candidate for the FSU job. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.